Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. We are going to be talking about hidden talents this week with David Duchovny, you know, from the X-Files, who is also, it turns out, a best-selling novelist. Uh, He's going to talk about his new book and also whether or not uh, Agent Mulder would have been into QAnon. Uh, We're also going to be talking to two of the most talented jump ropers in America, Nick and Kaylee Woodard, and maybe even testing out our own skills with a little virtual sesh. And finally, we're going to meet a new singer-songwriter whose talent is not going to be hidden for long, since she was just written up in the New York Times and Rolling Stone. Jensen McCray will swing by for a chat and a song. Uh, This is going to be one of those parties that you do not want to miss. So stick around because it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, where you been? Oh, you know, here and there, just honing my hidden talents. <laughs> Do you have a hidden talent? Oh, yeah, I can get any stain out of anything. Are you serious? Well, I mean, not rust. I mean, I'm, not a, I'm not a wizard, but yeah. uh, I'm very, very, very good. I have so many things that I need your help with. Couches, uh, old flannel shirts. I have a hidden talent, too. Tell me. Uh, radio hosting. Oh. Keep, it, keep the talent extremely hidden. I never knew. Yeah. Hey, speaking of radio hosting, should we do our little radio show? Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Molly, are we recording this thing? This thing sure is being recorded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sarcasm is Molly's talent. All right. Take it away, Elena. <laughs> From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire house party. This week, actor and writer David Duchovny, jump roping champions Nick and Kaylee Woodard, with music from Jensen McCray. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Uh, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Welcome to the Livewire House Party, everyone. We've got a fun show for the Livewire listeners this week. Um, speaking of our wonderful listeners, we posed a question to them this week, as we tend to do, and we asked, what is your hidden talent? 
Mm. We're going to be hearing those responses uh, coming up in a little bit. First, though, it's time for the best news we've heard all week. This is the part of the show where we like to remember that there's also some good things happening in the world. Elena, what is the best news you've heard all week? Oh, man, this this is so good. I was really surprised. I thought for sure we were both going to come in with the same news event this week. We had a lot of snow in Oregon recently, as you know, uh-huh. and down in Josephine County, uh, there was an accident. So a bunch of cars were stranded on the road, including a bunch of nurses who were taking six doses of the COVID, I think the Dolly Parton one, the Moderna Oh, really? Uh, the, the one she helped with some of the yeah, funding on, that's right? Called, I call that the Dolly Parton flavor uh, of the vaccine. They were going over to Grant's Pass. And, you know, that thing, it has like a six-hour shelf life when it yeah. travels. So the six doses were going to go bad. So they just got out of the car and started knocking on the doors of the other people who were stuck in the snow traffic jam. And six people just got happy birthday, Merry Christmas, happy Arbor Day, all rolled all up it. into one. Because they got the vaccine, or at least the first dose. Now, when I heard about this story, I was surprised that it took the medical professionals 45 minutes to find enough people right. who actually wanted the dose. Because I'm very pro-vaccine. I'm very pro-science. That being said, I had to wonder, how many people and how official would they need to look Yeah, if they were knocking on my window in a snowstorm who said, funny story, Yeah, we've got some extra drugs. Can we inject them in you? What would, it, what would it be for you, Elena? Like for me, one person, not enough. I don't care how official their lanyard looks. Mm-mm. One person knocking on my window in a snowstorm offering me the vaccine, I'm a no. If it's two people, I'm a maybe. If it's three and they all look pretty trustworthy, I'm like, okay, I think I'm in. Mm, yeah, I, th- I think I would need some kind of like official seal, some kind of documentation, some kind of like hologram or something. They did have an ambulance with them yeah. just because they were traveling as a group. That might so do that it. lends a certain amount of credibility. Yeah, for me, it. that might do it. Oh, and it also made me think of a really good joke because a lot of okay. Oregonians have been getting the vaccine and apparently it makes your arm pretty sore. Do you know what you call that soreness? What? Your Fauci ouchie. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> and then when it hurts, you say, oh, my Fauci ouchie is grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> we have a new segment called The Best News I Heard All Week and The Worst Joke I Heard All Week. <laughs> um, here's the best news that I heard this week, Elena. It involves a four-year-old girl in Wales who is walking on the beach with her dad. Mm-hmm. Her name is Lily. <laughs> and she looked down and she saw... What seemed like kind of an out of place footprint. And she said, Daddy, what's this? And he walked over, and it turns out it was the perfectly preserved footprint of a 220 million year old dinosaur. <sighs> they say it's the best specimen like this in terms of f- footprints that have been found in this area. It might actually help scientists learn about how dinosaurs walked. Four year old kid named Lily. Amazing. It's because she's so close to the ground. I have a theory, right, because her dad didn't see it. Mm. She called her dad over, Mm -hmm. and then he took a picture. Why did this little kid find the dinosaur footprint? She doesn't have a phone. If I was out there on the (laughs) beach, I'd be looking at my phone. I'd be taking pictures Uh, of the beach to remember how beautiful it was. Mm -hmm. I would be totally not present. Mm -hmm. Probably like her dad was, Rick, by the way. So Rick had to get called over by the four-year-old to see the footprint, Mm. and then he takes out his phone and takes a picture of it to document it. 
I feel that going forward, most of the great archaeological finds are going to be children or people who have somehow gotten out of the phone addiction. People who have accidentally thrown their phone in the toilet or something. Sure. Yeah. The next great wave of paleontologists. Just people who aren't <laughs> me because I'm just walking around with my nose in that thing too much. Mm. And that was the best news we've heard all week. Let's get our first guests here onto the house party. They have turned what might be considered to be sort of a hidden talent into their actual careers, which has included winning world championships and traveling the world and performing with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, their talent, Elena, is jump roping. Woo! Uh, which is actually, if you think about it, kind of like the perfect exercise during the pandemic. I mean, no one can even get that near you when you're jumping rope. Mm-hmm. Cone of safety. You do. You have this, like a force field around you called the rope. Uh, they've been teaching jump rope online during the pandemic. Please welcome Nick and Kaylee Woodard to the Livewire House Party. Thanks for Thanks. having us. We're excited to be here. Um, watching your videos, I was really struck by how much choreography there is. There's a really strong dance element and a really strong gymnastics element. You're doing flips. You're landing in a splits position. I mean, the physicality of this really can't sort of be over-described. Um, what's the kind of most important thing about becoming a world champion? Is it that you're, you really have the choreography down? Is it that the rope doesn't hit your leg? Like what's the, <laughs> what, what's the biggest element of what makes you both world champions? Sure. So, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest thing is the choreography element to it. So whenever we are performing, um, we have music that we do our best to choreograph, like some of our big tricks too. Um, and then of course it's also like that we don't miss. So when you get out there, you have one opportunity to knock it out. And so when we go out there to compete, you know, we've trained all year to get our bodies ready, Mm. get our minds ready. And then on that one moment, you know, can you perfect your routine in a minute and 15 seconds? And that's really what determines if you're going to be a champion or not um, with some of the uh, routines that we do. Now, the way that we actually heard about you, Nick and Kaylee, is because our executive director, Heather, and her kids, I think, are doing online jump rope classes with you? This is something that like everybody in the pandemic, you've sort of pivoted. Um, How does that work? And what's that like, like teaching jump rope, you know, over Zoom? Yeah. I mean, like you say, everybody had to pivot and that was us. When March hit and everything shut down, it was it was crazy. So now we're offering virtual kids classes. We're offering uh, virtual classes for some of the jump rope athletes who've already been in it for a while. So those intermediate and those advanced skills. And then we're even doing uh, virtual uh, adult fitness classes as well, where we're teaching the adults some skills, but then we're also giving them a great bodyweight workout at the end of it as well. So it's been a great transition for us. Um, You know, it's something that, I mean, we can truly take our computers and do it anywhere. Now we're able to interact with kids in Indiana and Washington. Even Russia on one of the last ones. Yeah, Russia. I mean, we have them from all over the place who wouldn't regularly have this opportunity. And so even after the pandemic, we're not going to let go of this virtual side. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep things rolling there and try to make this another part of our uh, part of our business. Uh, we're talking to Nick and Kaylee Woodard here on the Livewire House Party. They are world champion jump ropers and uh, teach jump rope over the internet during the pandemic. Do you feel like jump rope gets a bad rap? Like either people think of it as like a punishment, like it's too hard, <laughs> or like it's for kids? Um, 
You know, yes. I think that the biggest thing I've heard from adults that are looking at jump rope from a fitness angle is like, oh, I can't jump rope. I have bad knees or I can't jump rope. I just, you know, I could never take that really, really high impact activity. Mm. And but the cool thing is, if you can jog very slowly, you're probably putting about the same amount of pressure on your joints than you are if you're just doing the basics of jump rope. It's really not that that high impact. Um, And so that's the biggest, quote, bad rap that I've heard. Um, And then the other thing from a sport perspective, we always hear that jump rope is not a sport. And that is just simply not true. (laughs) Do you name the jump ropes? Do you have like old, old doesn't hit me in the foot? Like what are the names for these ropes? (laughs) Now I'm going to start doing that. Right? That's, that's That's not the slickest name. But I mean, do you have like a favorite rope and does it have a name? Yeah, so I I have a favorite rope. I enjoy using using beaded ropes, but I never I never gave it a name. But I I think I should start now. Yeah, I'm for sure starting. <laughs> uh, we have to take a short break, but I guess the plan is when we come back, uh, y- you both, uh, Kaylee and Nick, are going to try to teach me how to do like a jump rope trick. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll take a quick break here on the Live Wire House Party, and then we'll be back um, with my imminent death. (laughs) (laughs) Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. ZBiotic's pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Live Warehouse Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank at my house. Elena Passarello is at her place. And we have Nick and Kaylee Woodard joining us virtually. They are world champion jump rope athletes. Uh, They run online classes during the pandemic. And for some reason, we thought it would be a good idea to have them try to teach me some jump rope (laughs) skills. I want to say, too, a poor craftsman always blames their tools. Uh, But Nick and Kaylee, the jump rope that I'm using was brought over here today and dropped off by our executive director, Heather D. Michelle. Uh, This is her jump rope, I believe. It's for a person who's about 5'2". It looks like a belt. I'm about 6'1". It also is very um, light and flimsy. Not like the kind of heavy professional level ones you're using. So I want to just put all of that out there at the start if this doesn't go particularly well, okay? You're going to do great. I'm excited for it. Sounds great to me. (laughs) So um, how, how do we start this whole thing? Let's let's just see. Okay. Let's just see you take like four jumps in a row first okay. with that baby little rope right. you got. I'm here in the middle of my little office. I'm going to do four jumps with yep. this tiny jump rope, which I want to. I can't overstate. I have to hold 
the edge <laughs> of the handle to try to add a little length, okay? I'm making every excuse I can before we do this. So four jumps, okay? Yes. Four One, jumps. One, two, two three, three, four. four. <sighs> Easy. Oh, you got that. Nick, okay, so what's next? All right, so the next one's gonna be our rotational skill. Uh-huh. It's called a 180. <gasps> so put the rope in front of your body. Okay, the rope is in Perfect. front of my body. All right, so what you're gonna do, put your left leg back. Okay, left leg is back. Yep, just like that. Now what you're <laughs> gonna do is you're gonna drag the rope down towards your left leg and you're gonna rotate your body backwards. And okay. then once you get halfway around, you're gonna pick the rope up and jump backwards. Oh my goodness, this is terrible radio, but I'm getting a workout, <laughs> so that's the good news. Okay, so like this and like this. Yeah, hey. that was. Let's it. just tell we all the radio it. listeners that I that I nailed that. Okay, what's the last thing? So okay, last thing's a push up. So oh just no! Get your mind right. We're so excited, and it's kind okay. of more like a burpee, actually. Oh no! Oh, great. Okay. Jump rope burpee. I know. So really getting a workout now. Okay, so rope behind you. Okay, rope behind me. Yeah, there you go. Okay, now first step. All at the same time, you're going to turn the rope over your head and squat down to the floor. So okay, rope like over your this. head and squat down. Yep. Now, while okay. you're down there, you want to kind of put your hands out in front of your feet and make sure that the rope makes a U on the ground in front of you. I got yes, it. Okay. Yes, like that. Got it, like that. Perfect. Now, okay. hands on the ground on top of your handles. Okay. Okay, we're, we're looking good. Now, <laughs> shoot those feet out into a push-up. Whoa! Nice. Okay. Now, okay. Squat your feet back, almost like you're landing a burpee. Yep. Now, at the same time, you're going to drag the rope towards your feet and then hop over it. Okay. Yes. That's it. And then you just keep jumping. Okay, let me me try to do that at like half speed. Okay, let's go. I love it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Down, rope over, push up. Up, oh, jump over yeah. the rope. Yeah. Nice. You have to keep holding on that to the jump awesome. rope while you do the push up. That seems so difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Elena, it was difficult. I'm, I mean, I'm sweating <laughs> all the way over here. Um, well, I, I thought I couldn't respect your jump roping skills more, Nick and Kaylee, <laughs> but having just tried probably the easiest trick. <laughs> in your arsenal <laughs> and almost not surviving it. I have to say, I have even more respect uh, for your amazing skills. We have to stop now because I can't breathe anymore. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the Livewire House Party. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. We really appreciate so it. So fun. That was Nick and Kaylee Woodard. Right here on Livewire, you can check out their virtual jump roping classes for kids and adults over at learningtheropes.com. Also, if you want to see a video of me getting some virtual jump roping lessons, head on over to the Livewire social media pages. I don't know why I agreed to that. It's not flattering. A special thanks this episode to Toral Milbrath of Portland, Oregon. Toral is part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are very thankful for that support because it is how we are able to keep doing Livewire week in and week out. So a big old round of applause and thank you to Toral. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We like to ask the Livewire audience a question each week and get their responses. This week we asked, what's your hidden talent? And uh, folks sent those responses in. Elena has been collecting them up. What are the listeners saying are some of their hidden talents? 
Uh, I love this one from Jamie. Making doggy costumes. <laughs> Do they elaborate on it at all? Uh, yes, it says uh, making doggy costumes in addition to other general sewing. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess I was. I wanted a description of some of these outfits. Yeah, what no, I was really hoping for no, that's, some photos that's or something. Left to the imagination. Uh, I love doggy dancing. You know where you do choreographed dancing with your dog. It's like a whole, uh-huh. a whole industry, much like jump rope, competitive jump roping. Uh-huh. And always the dogs have on amazing costumes. Like there's this one, like where they're dressed up as the characters from Greece, the dog and the human. Is the dog Sandy, or is the dog John Travolta? Don, character? Danny Zuko, yeah. yeah, Danny Zuko. What I don't understand about the dog costuming is, you know, there's a point usually, like let's say you're sewing an elaborate costume for a human, you might put it on them uh-huh. and then have to sort of do some little measuring and adjusting and pinning. Uh-huh. Can you do that with a dog? Will they hold still long enough? I mean, if you're trying to explain, we got to get this leather jacket just right, Danny. <laughs> do they know what's, if it's doing it on a shih tzu, do they know what's going on? Maybe they have a little shih tzu sized dress form. <laughs> You know, like those mannequins. (laughs) What are some more hidden talents amongst the uh, Livewire listeners? How about this one from Chris? Chris's hidden talent, quote, much to my wife's dismay, I can detect and then read in their entirety every historical plaque wherever I am. So So Chris senses there is a plaque somewhere Mm -hmm. and then Chris goes to it and then stares at it and then reads it line Mm -hmm. by line. There really are two kinds of tourists, you know, they're the kinds who just kind of wander through a thing and then the ones who stop at every kind of marker or reference and soak in all of the information. And I would assume that you, Mr. Burbank, are the former. You know what? I have been the former Mm -hmm. for most of my life being out there in the world, just kind of you know, not being super observant about things. But a couple of years ago, and this just might be moving into middle age, Mm -hmm. I started stopping at those things. And I was just in Bend, Oregon. Mm. And I was reading about how Bend, Oregon used to have the biggest 4th of July festival in all of Oregon. And it hit its high point in the 1940s. And they had boxing and they had uh, a pet pageant. (gasps) There was a giant swan floating around on the, the Deschutes River. This is all stuff I learned from reading a plaque in Bend, Oregon. There you go. Yeah. Who says plaque is bad for you? (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's another talent that's sort of hidden for one of our listeners? How about this one from Danielle? Danielle says, I can twirl fire, but it gets better. It wasn't until recently that I learned my grandma was a fire eater. Fire performance runs in my blood. (laughs) And gasoline, apparently, depending (laughs) on... Wow. I mean, what a odd little quirk of uh, what? Serendipity? Yeah. Coincidence? It's hidden in her genetic makeup, that talent. I mean, I don't know if if she's saying that she eats the fire too or just twirls it, Mm. but all of it is a little scary to me. I'm glad that it's staying mostly within that family. (laughs) Okay. uh, Let's get our next guest here on the show. He is, of course, the face that launched a thousand GeoCities pages and crushes. And for a good reason. Oh, He's yeah. won two Golden Globes. Uh, he spent more than 25 years portraying Fox Mulder on the show and movies, The X-Files. Uh, he's also the author of four critically acclaimed novels, including his new one, Truly Like Lightning. Let's welcome David Duchovny to the Live Wirehouse Party. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, this new book of yours, Truly Like Lightning, um, is about uh, extreme Mormonism and land deals and the 
Rancho Cucamonga educational system. Everything I'm known for, pretty much. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Not the topics that immediately come to mind when people think of David Duchovny. Uh, how did this book come into your mind? It, it, it's It's been a long process. I It goes back to like uh, the year 2000. And I and I, I wrote this um, X-File, actually, that I directed. And um, it was based on this this forger named uh, uh, Mark Hoffman. And he happened to be a Mormon. And he forged uh, Joseph Smith documents because there are many rumors of Joseph Smith's writings that have been lost. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a there's quite a, a valuable trade in, in these kinds of documents, as you can imagine. But what Hoffman did, which was kind of diabolical, uh, but diabolical and brilliant, was he would uh, forge these documents, but they were scandalous. They were embarrassing to the church. They were fringe beliefs that had been rumored about Joseph Smith, but had never been verified. And he knew that the church would buy these documents from him and then suppress them. So he knew he could have a lucrative business of writing embarrassing documents to the church and that they would buy them and then bury them. So that kind of got me interested in Mormonism. What about uh, Harold Bloom, this Yale professor that that kind of inspired this book and also, you write, inspired you to get into acting, (laughs) also known as getting out of literature? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was was more of a running away from than a running to anything. But but Bloom had, had, had spoken of... I think I think it's his book called Genius, and it's pretty much just a book about everybody who he thought thought was a genius, you know. And and Joseph Smith is one of them, and I was so surprised to learn that, and I wondered what he meant by that because I'd I'd read Joseph Smith's writings, and you know he's not a writer. If he's a genius, it's not of literature, right? So uh, Bloom would say he had a, a a genius of a religious imagination, and he started talking about. This uh, this idea that Mormonism is quintessentially an American religion and is the only religion that has grown up fully on American soil, and I I purposefully discount Scientology <laughs> I, forever. So uh, it is it is associated in my mind, at least with with you know the growth of American democracy and individuation and all that. And it's a very kind of, you know, it's Christian, but it's super fringe when you get into the details of it because, well, first of all, you have polygamy. And then you have this thing called blood atonement, which I found in my uh, research, which is kind of a, a religious capital punishment. And what most people don't know, what I, le- what I didn't know, what I learned when I started researching this project was that in, in the late 19th century, when Utah was petitioning for statehood and Utah was was heavily Mormon, the United States federal government did not want to admit a theocratic state into its union and had to be assured by Brigham Young that such cult practices as polygamy and blood atonement, which was a capital punishment, were not going to be practiced in this state of the union if they were admitted. And that's when uh, the institution of Mormon institution started downplaying the notion of polygamy and obviously blood atonement. Um, so I find that fascinating. Anyway, back to Bloom, he would say that, you know, it's in the, it's in the name of the religion. They're the Church of Latter-day Saints. So there's something very hopeful and very present day about them. If you think about European Christianity, as I thought of it, it was very backwards looking. We're, you know, we, we're looking 2,000 years ago at the last miracle. You know, we're still naming saints, but we're, we haven't seen a miracle for a while. And what Joseph Smith is I saying, don't know. I'd call what happened in Georgia kind of a miracle. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think it's beautiful, but uh, then your miracle bar is quite low. But I think I, 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 I think it's about time. So I, I, I just thought, well, this is a, an American story of Mormonism and of this character who converts to Mormonism because of its, I want to say its currency, its idea that we didn't come on the scene too late. We didn't, we didn't come on in the time after miracles were over. We're, we're in the best time now. And it's a very kind of American way of thinking. Like, we're in the best country. We're in the best time. We're the best people. Exceptionalism. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You're Thank talking you. about Bronson Powers, yeah. this ex-stuntman who is kind of the, the center of this book, uh, yeah. who then goes out to, uh, like, you know, outside of Joshua Tree to kind of yeah. make this life for himself and his family. By the way, we're talking to David Duchovny. Uh, his new book is Truly Like Lightning. This is the Livewire house party. Um I is it often a party? Hear I didn't know it was a party. <laughs> it is. If, if this is a party, this is a party where you get caught next to the guy who won't shut the f*** up. You know, so <laughs> it's that party. I feel like if, and I'm that guy. Oh if the God. guy's David Duchovny, people are a little more forgiving, I, I think. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I often hear people interviewing you saying, a lot of people don't know David Duchovny, but you went to Yale and Princeton. And I always think, Everyone knows that. It gets brought up in every single interview you do. Like, yeah. are, I mean, um, is that something that is exasperating to you or is that something that you're, you're yes. proud of, your, your pedigree educationally? Oh, uh, it's exasperating because it's, it's not a dirty secret. You know, it's like, oh, man, right. you know, it's like whispered. Uh, in fact, although it, it kind of was a dirty secret, when I first started acting, I was advised not to bring up the fact that I'd gone to an Ivy League school in, in auditions. Not that I walked in and say, hello from Princeton, everyone. My name is David Duchovny. Um, but that it was somehow, you know, a strike against an actor that he would have... Uh, or, or, or it was more like, well, why is he acting? You know, what, what, there's some, you know, well, there's something wrong with him. You know, so um, I guess it became kind of like just a, a way to hang your hat on something about me that I went to these schools. Uh, it's, it's not. A, I'm not ashamed of it, obviously, and I'm, and I'm not overly like proud of it either. I mean, it's just something. What I am proud of is that I got a, a I, I read a lot at those schools, you know, starting, uh -huh. starting in high school, really. I read and read and read, and I, I majored in English, and then I went to graduate school in literature, and um, I, I value that uh, education, you know. To me, that's an education of a soul it's an and a mind. Uh, so I, I, I feel uh, very lucky to have been able to avail myself of all that. It's interesting because Powers in the book is this autodidact. Yeah. I would think that that would be a little bit of a leap as a writer to to try to like embody that perspective of this sort of self-taught person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was your approach? You know, I, I was caught by that book, uh, Educated by Tara Westover, you know. And oh, I, I, got, I bought I got that book while I was reading it. <laughs> of that book yeah. off of this book, totally. David. And, and I've, I've often thought about people who, who uh, educate themselves and... Or, or people who have been raised, you know, kind of off the grid. And I just thought, well, you know, Powers can love what I love. <laughs> sure. And he can kind of, uh, he, he can love those works. And, and he can be drawn to kind of revolutionary thinkers. And, and, and like William Blake, who I love. And, you know, I don't think people really read anymore, but it is current. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's an 18th century poet and he's as current as, as today. I thought I could kind of 
um, write about what it's like to, to read those things for the first time at the age when you're ready to get them. One of the, mm -hmm. one of the amazing things for me is, you know, I've had a great education, but you, you get exposed to stuff really early. Like, you know, you're reading, yeah. you're reading Shakespeare at 10 and 11 and 12 and it's like, you know, what are you getting? Mm -hmm. Not, you know, you're not right. getting. And, and, and to imagine like the first time at the age of whatever he is, 50 something reading Blake and stuff like that. It was, it, that was fun for me to come to it then. Uh, this is Livewire. We're talking to David Duchovny. Uh, his new book is Truly Like Lightning. Um, as somebody who's been writing for most of your adult life and also has been an actor, is it hard for you as an actor to not want to change dialogue that is written for you or <laughs> tweak it if it feels like it's not great? It's a very good question because I, I, it's something that that is vital in my process or whatever you want to call it. But I think early on, uh, before I had any like skills to speak of, I would want to change dialogue more. And then I realized, hmm. you know, that's a weakness and that, that, that the strength would be to try to make this stuff work the way it's written. There's a reason. And I, huh. and I, I think I used to give up on it too soon and say, well, I'm going to just change this around, you know, mm -hmm. make it better in my mind, rather than sitting with it, struggling with it and going, oh, I'm going to find the reason that's not readily apparent to me that this is the way this is, and I'm going to make it, I'm going to be in service of that writer and director, and I'm going to try to make it work in this other way rather than just throwing that out and saying I'm going to do it my way. The other, the other part of that is, um, you know, as an actor, you, you learn uh, that it's not about the words. This is not something that a lot of people, like, think about if they're not actors, but... One of the first things I learned was it has nothing to do with the words. It's what's underneath the words. Did you find that happening even with the X-Files? It's tough on the X-Files. I wouldn't rewrite that because there was a speed. And in fact, like I think about the two, Californication and, and, uh, and X-Files, both, both those characters had to speak quickly. They're both very intelligent and articulate. And... Um, they, I, I, I didn't want to rewrite, certainly didn't want to improvise around those, those things because mm -hmm. they had, um, and if I rewrote, it was unconsciously because I'm not, mm. I'm not great at, at memorizing, uh, word for word. Mm. Like Aaron, really? Aaron Sorkin would not want to work with me at all. <laughs> uh, the thing about the, the character Mulder on, uh, the X-Files is he's a conspiracy theorist and we're in a moment in our a country where conspiracy theories are doing real damage. Yeah. Like he would probably be into QAnon, right? You know, I've really, I've, I've thought about this. Uh, mm. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's a deep thought for me to be having, you know, when I'm thinking, Oh my God, <laughs> am I somehow complicit here? Um, but I don't think he'd be into QAnon um, because I think he was into actually finding out the truth and not, perpetrating mm. ridiculous, easily unprovable falsehoods, you know? So I, I, I would hope that was the case. Um, you know, I know, I don't know that, you know, he, he was definitely one man railing against a deep state as well, you know, and this whole notion of a deep state, uh, which has been so dangerous and pernicious the last few years, like uh, people trying mm -hmm. to destroy it. And, and my, my personal view was always 
yeah, there's a deep state. It's called the bureaucracy of the United States government, and, and it, it's not political, you know, and that's the great thing about it. It's, it doesn't have any kind of a bent. It's filled with professionals who do the job no matter who the president is. And, you know, mm -hmm. Trump's destruction of that bureaucracy, we haven't, we haven't seen the damage yet from mm -hmm. that. I mean, because it's going to be at, well, we see it with the vaccine rollout. It's, it's at the level of competence that we're going to suffer because the deep state are the hardworking people that get the job done. It's not this cabal of crazy QAnon. Now, this is your fourth novel, and you've been working in film and TV for decades. Are you doing the two at the same time, or do you have to separate? Um, oh, well, a novel like this, I have to separate. I, I have to commit uh, on a daily basis to, to thinking and, and, and kind of just being in that zone, because I, I write fairly quickly. Um, mm. The only time I've written while I was acting was when I did... Um, when I was on the X-Files and Chris Carter said, if you write one, you can direct one. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write them. Huh. And, and then I was doing the show while I was trying to write those ideas. But I can't do that. No, I couldn't do that with this. It's more like when I get like a chunk of time and I have some ideas backed up, I try to figure out what idea is a novel. It's not, I, I don't always know what's a novel and what's just a, an idea, you know, something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then I go, and then I go fast, and I go, I go hard, and then, you know, just takes me, the first pass will just take me a few months, and then, you mm -hmm. know, then there's a bunch of stuff afterwards that takes like a year and more. But, you know, if I'm acting, acting's more of a nine-to-five job. It's more of like... Even if you didn't work hard that day, you're, you're, you're tired at the end of the day and you just want, you know, to relax and, you know, put on some dumb TV and go to sleep. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it's kind of like not conducive to coming home at, at 6 p.m. or whatever and saying, okay, I'm going to put four hours of writing in. I, I can't do that. Uh, what are you hoping uh, people take away from this new book of yours? That I went to Princeton and Yale. Ah, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Duly noted. We'll mention it twice in the intro. I think, um, well, I've, I've, I sold it to develop into a show at, at Showtime, so I'm hoping to, to make it as, uh, I'm hoping to play Bronson Powers, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I, I really, when I started writing it, I wanted to write like a biblical tragedy, like an epic tragedy, but I also wanted to write a, a comedy. And I was like, how do I, how do, I do that? Uh, like the, the middle part of the book is this fish out of water, innocents raised like wolves in the desert who now go to Rancho Cucamonga High and have to navigate mm. the world of phones. So I was like, I want to say that. But I also want to say, what's it like to try to live like the Bible says? Or what's it like to try to live by biblical law? Because, you know, our cultural customs change. Uh, so much has changed in the past four or five years, you know, just from Me Too to Black Lives Matter, there's been a revolution in, in the way we think of cultural norms, cultural fairness, cultural justice. So what if you bring into that mix a guy who's, whose ideas of, of norms was formed 2,000 years ago or even by a guy named Joseph Smith 150, 200 years ago? So... And how do I make him legitimate? I mean, I'm not saying I don't want you to believe what he believes. I don't. But how, how do you 
how do you capture the emotional journey of someone who believes in something that is possibly crazy, you know, possibly insane. So I wanted to get inside him and make him understandable. I guess that's what I'd want to come away with, that, that these conversations that we're having, they're so complicated and so deep. And I just wanted, it, it took me 450 pages to try to, it's, what, what, what I find, <laughs> you know, that question is great, but I, what I find so difficult is it's so hard to have these conversations quickly, you know? And so, yeah. the, so this book, this fat book, I mean, I'm amazed at it. I mean, I, I, I can barely lift it up. Yeah, it's hefty. Yeah. I've got it right here. Good for it's definitely... a bicep curls. So that's, yeah. that's like, instead of me trying to give a soundbite about what I feel about what's going on or, you know, what do you think of Trump or what do you think of Me Too? What do you think of Black Lives Matter? It's not, it's not about any of that, but it's about culture. It's about America. It's really, I, I want to write a book about America, I guess. And, 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 it, and that's what I tried to do. Uh, David Duchovny's latest book is Truly Like Lightning. Uh, David Duchovny, thanks for coming on the Livewire House Party. Thank you. It was a good party. I'm sorry that I was talking so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we invited you over, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you. That was David Duchovny right here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, His newest novel is Truly Like Lightning. All right, our musical guest this hour is someone we think you are going to be hearing about a lot in the very near future. Uh, She describes her songs as being about mental illness, being brown, fearing adulthood, and uh, falling in love with every boy who's ever been nice to me. (laughs) She was named one of NPR's 2021 artists to watch, even though she only has four or five songs bouncing around the internet. Mm. That's how memorable they are. Let's welcome Jensen McRae to the Livewire house party. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I have been doing some research on you, and you strike me as a person who has been extremely um, focused on your music uh, for most of your life. Uh, Do you remember the first song that you wrote? I do remember the first song I wrote. I was seven years old and it was an incomplete song called Making Messes. I had just learned um, <laughs> Avril Lavigne's song. I think it's called Take Me Away. And I used the exact same chords. Um, and it was just making messes, hearing things I don't want to hear. And that was the whole song. Nice. I was like, I'm a genius. I'm a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> and you did a program through the University of Southern California that was sort of a really intense, it sounds like, music writing program. Has that changed your relationship with songwriting compared to maybe some friends of yours, people who kind of pick up an instrument and are just kind of riffing? Yeah, I think it definitely did. I mean, the program that I, it was very much a vocational school. That was how they talked about it. Um, And I think, especially in the first couple of years, I had this moment of becoming sort of disenchanted with songwriting because I was really seeing how the sausage gets made in a way Mm -hmm. that was like, it was very demystifying and it made me less interested in it. Um, And it was in terms of, from a passion standpoint, and I was more mechanical about it. But the thing about learning the rules is that once you really learn them, you can start breaking them and start appreciating the beauty in them. Um, And I started to understand much more cogently, like why my songs that I liked worked and why the ones Mm -hmm. that I didn't like didn't work. And it made it much faster uh, and more seamless for me to write things that I genuinely liked in the future. And it made it easier for me to express myself, which is really the whole point of it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I understand that because you're a black woman, people would often miscategorize your music as being soul um, or some category of music that isn't really what you play. Ha- have, have you been able to sort of get past that or is that still something that's happening to you? It definitely still happens a little bit. Um, and I often notice that when I get comparisons to white artists in my genre, they'll say, you sound like X, Y, Z, but with more soul, which mm. sort of to me just sounds like you're the yeah. black version of this person. Right. Um, and so I'm. it's happening less now, I think, as I put out more music and people who are finding my music are already acquainted with sort of who I am as an artist. Um, but it's definitely still a thing that happens. I don't take particular offense to it, um, but it's definitely, it's just wrong because <laughs> right. I don't really make R&B at all. Yeah. How do you describe the sort of genre that you work in? Is it folk? Yeah. I mean, sort of the thing that I've settled on is like folk alternative pop because I'm like very influenced by pop music as well. Um, but definitely like a folk sensibility because it often starts with an acoustic guitar and a story, which is kind of mm. the whole rock bed of folk music. <laughs> Um, so I've heard three songs of yours that are, that have been sort of released out into the world and they're all really fascinating, really beautiful songs that are about really serious topics, you know, race, gender violence, COVID. (laughs) Um, is that something that just feels for you like what you have to write about right now because of where you are at in the world and what's going on? I think, yeah, I would say yes, because I feel like I have to sort of write about everything that I think about. And so it ends up being, it runs the gamut from like the mundane and the arguably stupid to the sublime. (laughs) Um, And so I feel like it's not always that like the most profound topics generate the best songs, but I do feel sort of an obligation to broach those topics, even though they're not the easiest things to talk about because they are on my mind. And mm-hmm. as a, I describe myself as a word girl, I also call myself a hypergraph because I literally can't stop writing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, it comes out that way. Like in some time, and it just so happens that the songs that have been released have been the ones that are sort of the most intense. All right, we got to take a quick break, but we will be back in just a minute with some music from Jensen McCray. And you do not want to miss this. So don't go anywhere. This is the Livewire House Party. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the LiveWire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello, and we are talking to Jensen McRae. Uh, Jensen, so you're going to uh, play a song called Wolves for us, which I understand kind of grew out of a conversation that you were having with a producer. Yeah, I started writing the guitar part um, and I was writing other lyrics on top of it. I honestly can't even remember what they were, but they were not particularly inspired. And he was like, I really like the guitar part. I feel like we can do better on the lyrics. And I was like, well, what should I write about today? And he started talking about the R. Kelly documentary um, about mm. how it prompted a discussion with him and his male friends about how they didn't realize how much women went through on a daily basis just to feel safe and just to sort of gird themselves from the amount of potential violence that loomed in the world at large. Um, and I started to think about just every experience I've ever had in my life where I was either in danger or felt like I was maybe in danger. Um, and it came out pretty quickly and seamlessly. 
Um, and I was talking to a friend about this the other day, actually, about how when I write things uh, with immediacy, they're very straightforward and there's not very much metaphor. But writing something like this, which was very reflective, it was easy to cloak it in this uh, narrative device because I had so much distance from the events that I was discussing. All right. This is Jensen McRae here on the Livewire House Party. was 15 still in the valley walking in our parking garage first time i met off in person at first i thought it was a dog tried to dodge him he was faster than i'd ever had to be he smiled and howled in the same moment the wind right out of me Though I got away I never walk the same mm-hmm. Now I bury my smile and show no interest Now I carry myself a little different
That was the immensely talented Jensen McCray right here on the Live Wire House Party. Uh, you can check out her social media at Jensen McCray. All right, before we wrap things up this week, a little preview of next week's show. Love will be in the air, of course. It's going to be around Valentine's Day. We're going to hear some poems from the incredible Anish Moshgani. Mm. Um, and I promise you they are so much better than anything you're going to read in some, you know, card you pick up at the <laughs> drugstore. <laughs> On some sweet tart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then the comedian Naomi Ekpergin <gasps> is going to tell us all about the couples therapy podcast that she hosts with her husband. Uh, and then speaking of husband-wife duos, we're going to hear some music from an incredible husband and wife team, The War and Treaty. They met each other at a festival, Elena, called a love festival. I mean, it's bound to happen. Also, of course, we'll be asking the Live Wire audience a question, uh, and we want to get those answers. That is where our marketing manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Hi, Ariana. Hey, Luke. Uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about hidden talents, and uh, a listener said their hidden talent was sewing costumes for their dog. Your dog, Kenzo, I have seen in costume. What's like the most elaborate thing you've made? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say his holiday sweater. <laughs> Didn't you have him dressed up like a mime or something at some point? Yeah, he was a mime. I didn't make that, but I bought it. <laughs> he was a mime for Halloween, yeah. He's not quiet at all. So <laughs> he's a bad mime. But <laughs> yeah. I'm terrible mime. Hey, what is the audience question for this coming week's show? Write a valentine to an inanimate object. Oh, that's good. There are many objects in my life that I'm like, I don't know where, I mean, relationships come and go, right? Yeah. But like this little sound machine that I use to play my clapping. Yeah. I mean, where would I be without this thing? <laughs> um, what's the way for uh, folks to give us their answer to that question? Listeners can submit their answers on our social media channels. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Livewire Radio, as well as on Facebook. All right. That is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, David Duchovny, Nick and Kaylee Woodard, and Jensen McCray. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. This episode of the show is in memory of former Livewire board member and incredible human being, Molly Cliff Hiltz. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and Ariana Donneville is our marketing manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff this week. We'd like to thank member Samitha Reddy of Portland, more information about the show or how you can listen to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.